Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, and we are going to read verse number 23 and following. If you'll stand with me as we read God's Word. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the Father, or, or I'm sorry, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you, truly there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Lord, we thank you for this uh, truth that Jesus teaches. It's, it's simple in words, but the effects are literally eternal. Uh, there is no way that I can overstate uh, the, the, the consequences and the seriousness of what Jesus is teaching today. So my prayer is that your Holy Spirit will take the words and uh, apply it to each heart as needed in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. The only way to follow Jesus is to follow him to the death every day. That's the only way to follow Jesus. Frankly, most Christians wish that there was an easier way to follow Jesus. We, we had hoped that Jesus would refrain from too many costly demands, right? That he would endorse the plans that we already had for our lives. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. Or at least he would let us live for him with as little inconvenience as possible. Sound familiar? <laughs> we said we wanted to follow Jesus, but what we really meant was we wanted to follow him as long as he was going more or less the way we were planning on going. Instead of giving up the life that we had, uh, many of us want to have Jesus added to our lives instead of made central to our lives. So here in, in the space of just a very few, short few verses, Jesus proclaimed the whole gospel message and applied it to daily life. He, he said, look, here's what's going to happen to me. That's what we looked at last week, right? Here's what's going to happen to me. And if you want to follow me, the same thing's going to happen to you. You will have to follow me all the way to the cross because that's where I'm going. And we follow Jesus in every way. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How, how often? Daily. And follow me. This is Christ's own definition of what it means to be a Christian. I, I want that to sink in because there's a common misconception of there's two tiers of Christians. There's Christians, and then there's 
really good Christians, those are the real disciples. And that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says Christians are those who take up their cross every single day. Those are the terms of discipleship. And so when Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he meant that's the only way to follow him. There's no other way. All, a life of sacrifice and self-denial is not just for super-Christians who share the gospel door-to-door, travel to some faraway destination, and, and live on the dangerous mission field. This life is for anyone and everyone who wants to be his disciple. And I'm going to say this, and I'll say it again later on, it's orientation is what we're dealing with here. We're not, we're not dealing with, as I get into this, you know, I don't want you to think that what I'm saying is, I'm looking at uh, what I want you to do is flagellate yourself and live as a monk and have no pleasure in life. That's not what I'm saying. What we're talking about, what Jesus is saying here is that your life orientation is correct. So there are three terms to the discipleship that Jesus calls all of us to. And I want to point those out that are in the very first verse that we read today, verse number 23. The first term is to deny yourself. And what Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, meaning primarily our sinful selves, with the selfish desires of our fallen nature. It's, it's labeled different ways. You know, rewarding ourselves, or me time, or you, take the pick. It's, it's the selfish desires of our fallen nature. The Greek verb to deny is a, is a very strong word of negation. And it means, the word means to forget yourself entirely. To reject any thought of doing what will please ourselves rather than God. That's what the, the term means in the original language. It's a rejection of life based on self-interest and self-fulfillment. Instead of gratifying ourselves or indulging ourselves in all the ways our sinful nature desires, we are called to deny ourselves rejecting anything and everything that will get in the way of offering ourselves to God's service. This is almost the exact opposite of our selfish culture, isn't it? Our culture is tailored towards meeting our every selfish desire. We are constantly invited to get what we want out of life, to pamper our every whim, to satisfy our every craving, and we get so used to having things our way when we don't get what we want, when we want it, we either get depressed or angry. When Jesus calls her to, he calls us to deny ourselves. And by doing this, we are following his example. Think about how Jesus denied himself. He, he became a man, didn't he? He denied himself of the glories of heaven. Before he came down, he was sitting on a throne and heavenly creatures were praising his name. In fulfilling the law, he denied himself the pleasures of sin. And sin is pleasurable, by the way. That's what the Bible says. It's pleasurable. Otherwise, you wouldn't want to do it. If sin was no fun, nobody would want to do it, right? It's like eating your broccoli. 
I like broccoli, by the way. But if I had that choice between that and ice cream, I'll choose ice cream. In denying, um, in dying on the cross, he denied himself protection from pain. Think about that for just a minute. What does that mean for your life? I'm going to run a rabbit trail. This is not in my sermon text, but it's something I was thinking about. A lot of relational problems are due to the fact that somebody got hurt and they decide that the cure for their hurt is to build walls and protect themselves from future pain. And a lot of times what that means is then that you don't allow yourself to be um, intimate or vulnerable with other people because you don't want to get hurt again. Jesus, that was not Jesus' plan for himself. He, he, not just physical pain for Jesus, but the anguish of being forsaken by the Father. Think about that relational pain. And now Jesus calls us to deny ourselves so that we too may do the work that God has called us to do. It means saying no to sin, no to ungodly attitudes, no to unhealthy relationships, no to self-indulgent acquisitions, no to things that waste our time. Lots and lots of time wasted. Um, no to many things that are good in themselves, but it's not God's will for us, at least in the present time. Maybe in the future it will be. What are you accepting for yourself that Jesus wants you to deny? What are you holding on to that he is calling you to give up or give away? There's a second term of discipleship. At the same time we're to deny ourselves, Jesus wants us to take up something, namely his cross. Now the second term of discipleship in all likelihood, the disciples had seen what Jesus had, was describing here. They'd seen the rebel dragging his cross to his own execution according to the Roman custom. Very interesting about that Roman custom, the idea of the cross was, okay, you will not voluntarily submit yourself to the authority of the Roman Empire, so we're going to strap a cross to your back and make you submit to the authority of the Roman Empire. That's the concept behind the cross. And so this is a more radical way of talking about self-denial. Leon Morris, the, the English um, pastor, says, when a man from one of their villages took up a cross and went off with a little band of Roman soldiers, he was on a one-way journey. He'd not be back. Taking up the cross meant the utmost in self-denial. Jesus is calling us for a one-way journey. We're not those who, who waffle back and forth. We're going one way. It meant death of self. Cross-bearing is something that goes well beyond the ordinary trials of daily life. Um, when people complain about their problems, sometimes they say something like, well, I guess it's just my cross to bear. I used to joke around about that. My first ministry was in Hawaii. Literally, I'm not joking with you. Matt Berglund would call me up in the summertime. He's a boy in my youth group. He'd say, he called me, Brother, Brother Jerry, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm at the office. Hey, uh, my, my mom can't take me to the beach. You want to go surfing today? 
And I'd, I'd hold the phone and look at my pastor and say, hey, Matt Berglund wants me to go surfing. Maybe I could grab Mike Calvo and go with him and go surfing for the day. And he's like, well, you're with the boys. Go ahead. It was a heavy cross to bear. <laughs> surfing, going to the beach, hiking in the mountains, enjoying the sunshine. But somebody has to do it. But many times we, uh, I got to add this in because then from there it was downhill because we moved to Memphis, Tennessee. And then the pound, Wisconsin, where you didn't surf in the wintertime. But anyway, um, when, when we complain about a problem, sometimes we'll say, that's just my cross to bear. But Jesus wasn't talking about primarily difficult people in our lives, or our work situation, or our health problems, physical limitations, financial hardships. He was talking about suffering for our faith. That's the cross we bear, suffering for our faith. He was specifically talking about suffering that we endure for His sake, hardships we face due to the very fact that we are trying to follow Christ. And then he adds a third term of discipleship, and that is he uses the word to follow. Now what's interesting is deny yourself and take up your cross, they're a past tense verb. It means like a past decision. The word follow me in the original language is a present tense. It's continuous. And so you make two past decisions. You're going to deny yourself. You're going to take up your cross. And that, that um, results in the current decision. You're going to follow Jesus and the ability to follow Jesus. And so to be a deny, uh, disciple is to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. And now it's perfectly clear what Jesus meant when he called people to follow him. He meant following him all the way to death. He meant, just as he said, he himself will endure suffering and rejection and even death. Now, anyone who follows the Savior must be prepared for the same kind of rejection. The Christian life is a life after Christ. It's marked by suffering and death. He bore the cross, and now we bear the cross for him. He bore the cross for us. Now we bear it for him. If we keep the terms of Christian discipleship, then inevitably we will suffer. We are bound to hear cynical remarks from our neighbors or to face ethical decisions at work. We are bound to have people criticize our, um, our uncompromising commitment to sexual purity or to the idea that there's one man and one woman in marriage or that there are only two sexes or you name it, right? Right? Or we'll have people walk away from us because they don't want to hear us give them the gospel. Or we're bound to have occasional pangs of regret over things that we give up for the gospel. You ever had that? Has God ever called you to give up something for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Um, as we put more of our time and our money at God's disposal, if we're not endure, experiencing those kinds of hardships, it's doubtful that we're following Christ in a biblical way. Now why? Why should we deny ourselves and take up a cross and follow Him? I mean, is there anything appealing about that? Is there anything appealing about denying yourself dreams, desires, pleasures, 
Let's be honest, there's not, is there? There's not anything appealing to that. So why would we do it? The answer is this. Jesus said that to try to make your life all about this world results in complete and total destruction. But to make your life about Christ results in gaining everything. What do I mean? Next verse. He says, whoever would save his life would lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And this is one of the great paradoxes of the Christian life. There's a, Christian life has plenty of paradoxes, and this is one of the biggest ones. The trade-off of discipleship, to save your life is to lose it. To lose your life is to save it. Now, what does it mean when people want to save their lives? Because that's a hard phrase to understand, isn't it? To save people who want to save their lives, in this sense, believe that their satisfaction and security are up to them. Thus, they pursue their careers with blind ambition, working so hard that there's little time for anything else, even the people they claim to care about. They organize their lives around their entertainments pleasures that they like to pursue they want to get what they want out of life and so they keep their lives pretty much to themselves garage door goes up you drive in garage door goes down and nobody sees you pursuing what you want they 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 are not willing to make any costly interpersonal investments for the kingdom of god I'm tired, I don't, want, I don't have anything to give. That's code for most of the time, I, I don't want to. They call themselves Christians, but they're not willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. They never go anywhere difficult or dangerous with the gospel. They rarely, if ever, have conversations with people that might expose their own spiritual commitments. Then at the first sign of any hardship or persecution, they instinct, their instinct for self-preservation takes over and they pull back to their comfort zone. That's what it means to save your life. And Jesus said, if that's your mode of operation, you're going to lose it. There's a trade-off for all this. Ironically, and very tragically, people who want to save their life end up losing them. The word loss is used three times in this, in this short little passage, and it means a total forfeit. It's, it's like a ship that's lost at sea with all hands. It's complete and total destruction. If, if what we lose in seeking our own salvation is absolutely everything, even our very lives, Everything is destroyed. What Jesus means by this is not so much our physical lives, but our spiritual lives. Not just now, but forever. Now by contrast, and this is the good part, whoever loses his life in Christ will save it. Notice what Jesus says here. Look at the language. He doesn't say whoever would lose. He said whoever loses his life. The case is not theoretical, it's factual. Jesus is speaking about something more than being willing to lose your life. It's not the willingness to lose your life. 
it's actually losing our lives for him. How much of your life are you giving to Jesus Christ? Is it only when you have a little bit of extra time, a little extra money to toss his way? Are you making conscious decisions that cause you to say, okay, I can either do this or I can follow Christ. I think I need to follow Christ. It's not theoretical. It's factual. It's actual. Jesus is speaking about something more than being willing. This is in keeping with his terms of discipleship, which demand that we carry the instrument of our own crucifixion wherever we go. God has not given us our lives to keep for ourselves, but to give away for him. People who follow Jesus and take out the cross of discipleship end up saving their lives. This is true uh, in the present because they can save their lives from being wasted rather than squandering it for themselves for earthly gain. They spend themselves instead for the glory of God, which is the only way to avoid living a meaningless existence. Then, well, that's all. Then in life to come, they will gain everything, everlasting joy in the presence of God. To give your life to Jesus is to save it now and forevermore. Isn't that wonderful? I, I can't even begin to unpack everything in this sermon. It would take me two or three sermons to really flesh this out in its fullness. It's so glorious. This is a trade-off, by the way, that led Jim Elliott to say, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If you're younger, you may not know who Jim, Jim Elliott is. But he was one of the five famous missionaries to Ecuador who was killed by the Alca Indians in 1956. The Alcas were headhunters. And Elliot knew the danger of going to them. And he's willing to give up what he could not keep, which is life itself to give the gospel. He prayed. This is his prayer. Listen to this prayer. Father, take my life. Yea, my blood, if thou wilt, and consume it with thine enveloping fire. I would not save it, for it is not mine to save. Have it, Lord, have it all. Pour out my life as an oblation for the world. And Eliot's prayer was answered. His lifeblood was poured out as an oblation. But he was no fool, because in losing his life for Jesus, he gained something that he could never lose everlasting pleasure young people i'm talking to young marrieds there's not many teenagers in the first service but look at this quotation young people particularly the world tries to entice you to pursue everything that you cannot keep they never call you to pursue something that's eternal young people Young parents, young adults, listen to me. Do not give in to the siren call of the world to pursue everything that you cannot keep. It's not worth it at all. Everyone who tries to live selfishly to secure 
for himself pleasure and happiness in life will in fact doom his life to failure. He will never find joy or full life. He commits spiritual suicide. But he who lays his life down upon the altar in the service of God, who strives for his honor and for the extension of his kingdom while keeping self in the background, will spontaneously find true joy and life here and hereafter. It's what I read by one of the commentators this week. So true, isn't it? It's so true. Now, what about making the wrong decision? The trade-off of discipleship forces us to make some serious choices. Will we follow Jesus or will we go our own way? Will we take up our cross or will we leave it behind? Will we keep our, our lives for ourselves or will we give them away to Jesus? The decisions will determine our destiny. Let me say that one more time. Those decisions will determine our destiny. With so much at stake, Jesus wanted to make sure that people knew how to calculate their alternatives. And so he took the person who wanted to save his life and placed him in the best of all possible circumstances. He, he um, imagined someone living for himself and gaining everything that the world has to offer. All its power, prosperity, and prestige. And Jesus, then Jesus asked whether all of this would be worth the price of a person's soul. Here's his question. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And those words, two words, loses or forfeits, are very strong words. It's talking about annihilation, complete destruction. The question was rhetorical, of course, but the answer is that it profits a man absolutely nothing. A person's soul is far more precious than anyone else in the universe or anything else in the universe. Because a soul is made in the image of God, isn't it? And it's bound for eternity. To lose one's soul, therefore, is to lose the most valuable possession and suffer uh, eternal loss. If not even the entire world can offset the cost of losing your soul, how much can the things of this world? Consider everything that the world has to offer. Think about it. What does the world offer us? It offers us proud ambitions, monumental achievements, exciting entertainments, luxurious pleasures. Then consider this. You're saying, well, I'm not pursuing all that. Then consider the smaller treasures you strive for every day. Purchases you're planning to make. Pleasures you're planning to have that you feel you can't live without. The position you're trying to gain. Now, ask yourself this question. Is it really worth it to let these things stand in the way of your obedience to Christ? Are, I'll step it up one more notch because this is what Jesus did. Are they worth the price of your soul? The reason worldly things do not profit 
is that our souls are bound to either for heaven or hell. To make this perfectly clear, Jesus went on to say, verse number 26, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be shamed. Now look at what he says when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. You know what that is? The second coming. Right? This emphatic statement places the losing and saving of our souls in the context of final judgment. Because we know in the future Jesus comes back and there's judgment. Jesus knew that one day he would judge the world. And he was looking beyond his cross to the crown that he will receive on the last day. And he will come again in glory. Isn't that wonderful? His glory, his own glory, the glory of the Father, and with all the heavenly angels. And on that day, he will judge every person who ever lived. And he will render final verdict that will determine our eternal destiny. Some he will welcome into the joy of his Father's heaven, and others he will condemn to the fires of hell. Now consider what great joy there is for people Jesus acknowledges as his own disciples, but consider the dreadful terror that awaits those who will be abandoned by God. J.C. Ryle wrote this, To lose or forfeit oneself is to lose God and Christ and heaven and glory and happiness to all eternity. It is to be cast away forever, helpless and hopeless in hell. That's literally the choice. This is not works salvation. This is fruits salvation. If you know and love Jesus, if He's your greatest treasure because He saved you, then you daily make that choice. Daily make that choice. As we close, I want to uh, deal with one more verse. It's actually connected to something else. Um, and you'll see that in just a minute. This is a very difficult verse, verse number 27. How many know what this means? Yeah, nobody's going to raise their hand because this is a hard verse. Verse number 27, let's read it together. But, see, here's the transition. Here is the transition. But, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, what is he talking about? Scholars debate what this means. There are quite a few widely understood and widely held interpretations. I'm going to give you less than half of them. Okay? Um, some, some people say that some will not die until they see God's kingdom come in Jesus' resurrection. All right, that's one interpretation. Another interpretation is some will not die until they see the Spirit's coming at Pentecost. Those are very good explanations, I think. Some, another interpretation is some will not die until they see the spread of the church throughout the world. Another interpretation is some will not die until they see Christ in the second coming. Another interpretation is some will not die until they see Christ in His transfiguration. 
And I think that's the one he's talking about because what is the very next verse? It's the transfiguration. And this is a transitional statement. I believe that Jesus, when he makes his statement, I, some standing here will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God, saw Jesus at the transfiguration and understood the kingdom of God in all its glory from the transfiguration. That's my interpretation. You can disagree with me. That's fine. Um, but that's what I think. But I want to close now by asking this question. What about you? These are the terms of following Jesus. Can you say that you live a life following Jesus in the way he describes, not the way Jared describes, but the way Jesus describes? I'm going to say it again. I said it at the very beginning. It is all about orientation. If you're eternally oriented, there will be a conscious daily following Jesus Christ, taking up your cross. If you're temporally oriented, it will be the opposite. What's interesting is that most people, what they want to do is try to have Jesus added to their life. That's not the course. If Jesus says the course is this way, and you want to add Jesus to your life, you're running this way. What's the problem with that? Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. I was reading about um, the, you know, the two Pioneer satellites, or Voyager satellites, I'm sorry, that are uh, trillions of miles out now, um, way outside our solar system. One of them lost communication a couple weeks ago uh, on Earth. And what they, they were talking about the fact that if if they are off, they're so far away, if their antenna is off by like a tenth, it's a minute um, number, I think it was a tenth of the degree, then the signal is two billion miles away from the earth. That's how far away they are. And that's the same as just missing it completely. They might as well be turned any other way. And that is true here. There's not a compromise to be turned just a little bit is to miss it completely. Are you going to gain everything or are you going to lose your own soul? Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to hearts. I pray that people will count the cost. They will look at their lives ask themselves if they are counting the cost, Lord. Such a, this is a serious passage with serious consequences. I pray that people will seriously consider the words of Jesus. Amen.